My name's Hill Bowman, and uh, I've been going to Watermark for about a year now, a little over a year. Came from a, a, a different church, and I came over here with my wife. I was teaching a bunch of, of um, kind of adult Bible studies, and had a you know pretty pretty good group of people that we were kind of you know in vernacular here were shepherding, but. All of a sudden, they started going through divorce, and the world hit them. And I mean, it was like the church didn't have anything to help them. You know, there was just nothing there. And so we came over here to do reengage, which is the if y'all don't know, there's just a ministry to help. Uh, it's just a marriage enhancement ministry. You know, you can be a one trying to get to a two, you can be an eight trying to be a ten. Anywhere in your marriage spectrum, it can help you. And uh, but we came over here with the intent in bringing that back to uh, my former church. I was going to lead it. I was going to do it all. I get here, you know. I mean, no. I mean, I love the place, and I have tons of friends here. But I, I mean, no intent. It wasn't like I came here and said, "Okay, should I stay?" You know. Next thing you know, bam! I was like, "Wow, this place is awesome." Uh, so, uh, really, frankly, uh, my I have two kids: a ten-year-old and a seven. My seven-year-old is a daughter. She has autism, uh, which is another thing that that. Uh, kind of throws off Sunday school teachers, you know, and they have a hard time with it because they don't have, they're not in training. And so uh, they have a ministry here called Kaleidoscope, which is frankly a ministry for autistic and special needs kids that's just like, you know, brings you to tears. You think about who thought that? I know who thought it up, but it's just a, it's a blessing that uh, this place reaches out in so many different ways. Um, so I appreciate everybody, everybody sharing. I can tell you, uh, I've taught a lot of topics, and, and I, I, mean, I love I love just about every topic. There's nothing more fun than studying about heaven, man. This is, I mean, I think as cool and, and exciting as it gets. Um, you know, a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up here in Dallas. I uh, went to uh, Holland Park High School where uh, I was not a Christian. Um, I went to church, so, you know, I wasn't, you know, Anything else, I said, you know, I'm not Jewish, therefore I must be Christian, right? I had no concept of, of Christ. I never owned a Bible. This is actually the first Bible I, that I ever uh, bought, and uh, I didn't even buy it. But uh, I did a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, or little drugs, and um, just kind of thought, thought of myself as the center of the universe, uh, you know, and, and went to SMU, graduated SMU, and... Came out of school uh, when I was 22, and I had a job at uh, Merrill Lynch uh, selling securities, which is uh, now I work at, at Morgan Stanley, but I still do the same thing. And I was the youngest guy they'd ever hired. This was 1992. It was about four years after a movie called Wall Street. Anyone ever seen it? The original, right? I thought I was Bud Fox. I mean, I was like, yeah, dude, grease my hair back. I mean, I couldn't have been a cooler guy, you know. And deep inside, I was just like, I mean, I just knew I just, I just wasn't that. So uh, right off the bat, I got married uh, to this lady. Um, no, no religion. In fact, she was an atheist. I didn't care. It was uh, kind of a purely physical relationship. It was a physical relationship. There was no, I, mean, I didn't care. So I thought I was here. And over the next two years, really a year and a half, I, we just, I just ran myself into the ground with her. Uh, she ended up having an affair uh, with uh, her boss, and so after 14 months, I ended uh, our marriage. And so I was 24, saying to myself, you know, I would never do that, and I did it. Yeah. So I mean, my life just started spiraling, spiraling down. Except for I had more money, and it was easier to get alcohol and girls and all the stuff that I thought was filling my life. So I was like, I'm gonna go do it. So I was just slamming it all down and just going crazy and. What happened was the culture was really building you up. If you've ever been in a bad place, everyone's like, oh, you're really a good person. You know, oh, this is such a hard, you know, circumstance. You're really a nice person. You know, and you're like, and I get the love of it, but the truth of the matter is I knew deep inside that I wouldn't. I was like, well, you know, you're just, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I can look myself in the mirror. And uh, at the same time, a, a guy invited me to a Bible study um, at, uh, it was at a place, called, uh, Dallas Country Club. Um, and uh, the only reason I went to this Bible study is because I was trying to raise money. I work at Wall Street. So a rich guy invited me to a Bible study at Dallas Country Club with other rich people. 
and, and, and you know, ninety nine percent of the decision was I can go meet rich people because I mean that's my job, right? And I mean, so I, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, out of all humility, I it had not. I mean, maybe I would have gotten a Zig Ziglar moment where I would have heard, you know learned something cool to try. So it wasn't like I was like against it, but it was just purely business. I'm doing it because I need to meet these people, uh, and the guy. Uh, that was teaching this guy named Charlie Taylor just graduated uh, DTS and uh, uh, he had just started teaching his class and he went to the book of Romans and he went to Romans 1 and I mean I'm telling you I had never been to a Bible study in my life I have never owned a Bible I didn't even own a Bible at the time I just went you know and I was just sitting there and, and he went through some verses in Romans 1 that, that you know we're just sitting in the class on Romans but it's like I mean, God just started talking to me. Like, you are that dirt bag. You know, you are that person. You know, one of the things Paul starts listening is all these, you know, sins, right? And then one of the things he says is, and if none of these are real, then you, you even make stuff up. You know, you're doing everything you can to go against God. I'm like, oh. So about two weeks later, Romans 3, at the very, at Romans 3.20, where he says, I didn't give the law for you to follow the law. I gave the law for what? to point you to a savior i mean it was like fireworks i mean it was a it was a it was a miracle in my life that i remember and i tell just about every day of my life it was october 94 um and i've never been the same since it's just an unbelievable blessing uh god's given me the ability to read i graduated smu holland park worked on wall street and I had read about four books, literally, my whole life. And two of them were Dr. Seuss as a kid. I mean, I just cheated my way through school. I listened. I took notes. I did everything I could. But I just I hated to learn, you know. And now I'm just like, just teach me something else, you know. I mean, and, and you don't get that. I mean, that, that, that is a, that's a, in my mind, it's a spiritual awakening. That's something that God said, hey, you know, if you want to tell people about me, you got to learn about me, right? There's two sides of this stuff. And... Uh, so I share that with you uh, to to kind of give you a background of of where I am, and then frankly, at, at that moment, uh, it became so apparent that I had to tell. I mean, I'm talking like if Todd gave me the microphone, dude, I'd do it on Sundays. You know, you know, I just like I got to tell people what God just did for me. So I only knew one Christian. I grew up in Holland Park in Dallas, by the way. I only knew one Christian, and so I called the dude, guy, guy named Scott Sexton. And I said, man, I've got to talk to you about this. Now, we weren't even really friends, right? Because, I mean, he was a lot smarter to be friends with me. And so he, we sat down with him, and he's like, oh, my God. You know, he, he, we were so excited that we started teaching K-Life, which I told you is can of cut stuff. And then I started getting involved in all his teaching. But what's interesting is Wagner, Todd, the guy, the pastor here, came to Dallas because he used to be the assistant director at can of cut, Okay. Cancuck, where he was under, he was working with Joe White, if you know Joe. He came down to Dallas to run K Life, which is just their annual Bible uh, Bible discipling stuff. And the one guy that, that kind of went under his wing was Scott Sexton. And so, like the, the you know the one dude I knew that I could say, man, that guy's a Christian. I need his help. Was like you know one of the reasons is because he was discipled by Todd while you know I was learning how to smoke pot. You know he's over there learning how to you know pray and all these things. You know, and so. It's just, you know, these practical things that happen in life, right? So we're going through, and, and it's just a, um, you know, I, I just let you know that uh, the practical experience of seeing God when you came to Christ versus what's going to happen the rest of your life, because, I mean, it's pretty rocky as a, as a believer, right? I mean, let's face it, some days you're like, oh, I just don't like this. And, some, you know, and then, and then, then at the very end, you're going to see this progression. And I want you to... Uh, Want you? Hello, Hi. come on in. I want you to just to uh, know that about me. What, uh, what was name tags? Yeah, I'll sit up here. I'll let you do. It. So that's okay. Um, you know, it's funny. As I told you, uh, the, the funny thing, and then I'll leave you. This this is my first visual uh, illustration. When I became a Christian, I told you that that I was just coming off a divorce. And by the way, since then, I met my existing wife, November of 94. Three years later, we get married. So we got married in October. Yes, I'm making sure it's right month. October of 97. And now we have our kids and, and, and we're just, we, uh, we love Christ. We, we, 
teach. We, you know, we just do everything we can together. So it's just a, it's a blessing. It's a spiritual marriage. It's one that, that's rooted in Christ. So it's really cool. But uh, when I started my Bible study, when I became a Christian, I never owned a Bible. I mean, I, I grew up with a prayer book, if anyone's familiar with what a prayer book is. And so I was like, Romans, what's that? Good gosh. You know, I, mean, I, I mean, I didn't even know. I mean, I mean it was crazy. You know, Tommy Nelson says the largest denomination in America is the biblically illiterate. And that was me. But, but the dude that gave me this Bible is the, is the rich man that asked me to go to that Bible study. Because he knew I didn't have one, so he bought it for me. And so I sat there, but he signed. You know, you know, whenever you give a Bible, he signs the front page. And I told you I became a Christian in October, but he gave this to me. I don't know if you can see it. It says Hill, McGuire, November of 94. But what I had to do, if you can tell, see how I cut that front part out? You see that? The reason is because what he wrote on there is, you know, to you and your lovely wife, Proverbs, blah, blah. He didn't know I was divorced, right? So I was like, man, I want to keep this Bible. You know, I didn't want to, like, give it back because, you know, I mean, the last thing I would do is look at that all the time. And so whenever I get really high on myself and I'm, and I'm back to him, hey, I'm a cool guy, you know, I'm making this life work for me. I just go back and I open this front page of my Bible and I literally I do this. I just look at it and I say, look at what I did to myself. You know, I blew it up. And look what Christ has done for me. You know, and it's just a, it's just that awesome reminder uh, to go through it. So uh, that's just a little background, you know, a little background on me, and and uh, it'll all make sense here in a little bit about what we're doing. But um, really, the idea to this class, when I think uh, the the best way to learn is is to take two or three main points. Okay, and study those points until they're beaten into your brain, and you can remember them, and you can actually say them back, and you can actually tell somebody about them. So that's our that's our goal here. Uh, so the three main points that we're going to look at is uh, how do you know, or, or how do, how do you get to heaven, or how do you get to hell, uh, and and what is the what does the world think about versus God's word? Okay. So the first point, like I said, is how do you get to heaven or hell? And what does the world say about it? And what does the what does Scripture say about it? So the second thing we'll look at is uh, what happens when you die. Okay, how many judgments are there? I mean, your heart stops, people. What happens at that moment? Okay, and anyone, you know, there's been billions of people die or whatever. So we'll, we'll study about that. Um, and then third, what does the Bible say about eternal heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem? Um, if you hear me say I think, then you stop me and say I don't care what you think. Yeah, what's the Bible say? You know, I mean, really, this this is scripture, scripture, scripture. Led. So, like I said, what does the world say about he- or how do you get to heaven and hell? Okay, what does God say about that? What does the world say about that? That's point one. Point two is what happens when you die. Like literally, what happens when when the clock when you know this bot when you know someone's in the coffin or you know like in the hospital or whatever. Uh, Ninety minutes in heaven, and, and the and what's the I forget the name of the kid book. Uh, it's Always, heaven is for real. yeah, heaven is for real. I mean, so there's several of these like near near death experiences, and then the third is what does the Bible really say about heaven? Okay, so uh, before uh, we start getting into what the Bible says about heaven, since uh, just about everybody here has not studied it, what I'd like to do is everyone kind of pair off into like two. I don't know if we have an even number. Two or two or three people, and just take you know four or five minutes, and I want you to come up with a list of five thing, five conce- uh, preconceptions you have about heaven. Okay, what do you think heaven is going to be like? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, you can do it at the table. Yeah, whatever. I, mean, I don't want it to be like five people coming up one thing. Yeah, just think, introduce and mix and mingle and. <laughs> Yep. Are we going to be looking down on our family and saying, come on, come on, you can do it, come on. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Okay, so like just preconceived notion. Yeah. Like shiny streets, like in the um, Wizard of Oz, you know how there's like the city? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like just shiny and jewels and like a river going through the middle. And it's like just generally, I feel like this is when I was a kid. Heaven is up and hell is down. Like that's mm-hmm. just, you know. And then no more pain and weeping. And um, he was like... I mean, are we just going to sit all, like, sit there all day and sing? And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Allison, what would y'all put? Um, 
We put that you'll be with your or see your loved ones that were saved. Um, same kind of thing with your heavenly body. It'll be free of pain or disease. Um, and really just that you'll be worshiping God. What y'all put? Did y'all put? I guess, uh, other than what's already been mentioned, uh, no marriage, um, true understanding, like no mystery anymore about yeah. God. See, doesn't that, doesn't that bore you, though? <laughs> no mystery. No, I'm serious. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, people, get, people say, dude, I don't like church anyway. The last thing I want to do is spend eternity in church. I mean, it's a grind to get here on Sunday mornings. And I like this place. I mean, most people don't like where they go to church, right? I mean, statistically. And so people see it like, man, am I used to sit there and throw crowns at them the whole time? I mean, what are we going to do? You know, I just think it's a, you know, you, you see a lot of, uh, of misconceptions. Y'all all are way ahead of, of what most people think. Most people think you're in a... Um, uh, you were going to say something. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, thought, yeah. I was, was going to say that we actually had this conversation. That's why we um, signed up for this class. Because one time we were just talking, we were like, what do you think heaven is going to be like? And we both decided, it sounds really boring. Yeah, you know? that's right. And so we're like, well, our end goal shouldn't be something boring. boring. And so we started thinking, okay, what are those moments in life, like your best moments in life, those moments when you're at the most peace or when you just have that you know, a second of like, wow, all is good in the world, you know, with your family or something. And then we started thinking, that's probably what heaven is like at magnified times a billion. Yeah. You know? And so that's sort of what... Yeah, because when I, when I was little, <laughs> like when I was like four or five, you know, it felt so good to sit in front of this little box fan and just take a nap. <laughs> I had no guilt, no simplicity, no yeah, desires or anything. You know, it's just like peaceful. That's interesting. And I was like, so we were like, maybe it's like that times a million. Yep. You know, over and over. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> you know one of one of the one of a, a common misperception. Tell me if you've heard this: is that we become angels. Have you heard that? Yeah. Oprah says it all the time. If you watch Oprah. No. Good for y'all. <laughs> My wife, Tivo's Oprah. Um, oh, Oprah, Oprah said, oh, you know, not Oprah, but I mean, people believe that you die and you become an angel. Uh, or you die and, and, and your spirit, you've heard this, if you haven't heard this, you're not listening. Your spirit goes with God, right? Whatever that means. It's a misconception. Uh, I mean, now I have heard a lot of y'all to say, you know, like a physical body, or and we will talk about that. Uh, but you know, frankly, to me, before I ever studied this, you know, I just never studied it, so I didn't really even think about it. Uh, but I think we make it boring. I mean, like y'all said, I mean, you know, can you even th- can you even imagine like your body separated from your spirit? I mean, you you can't. I mean, you know, maybe if you're, you know, high on drugs, maybe you can, but most people can't, and you're not, you're not designed that way. You know, God doesn't want you to be separated from your body and spirit, right? I mean, you are what you are, and uh, so, you know, really, the, the the first question that I wanted to kind of look at is why do we as a culture have such a vague and uninspired view of heaven? Why do we have such a vague an uninspired view of heaven. Uh, the first thing to think about, first of all, I think for some reason in the 1800s, they must have preached, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone. You hear that all the time. And, you know, preachers don't, the fact of the matter is preachers don't preach on this stuff. I went to my original church and I hadn't asked Todd about this because he's letting me teach it, so that's good. But I said, I want to teach this class on heaven. And I want to teach from here and these scriptures like this. He's like, well, there's too much conjecture in there. I'm like, what? It's what it says. You know, I mean, you, you would be surprised. People always say, one of my favorite songs is Mercy Me. What's it called? I Can Only Imagine. Right? I mean, people are like, hey, it's too good. It's too good to be true. You can't think about it. I mean, that's what you're taught. Here's how you get there. But don't think about what happens when you get there. Right? It's, it's crazy. But what, part of the reason is, frankly, when you really dive into this, seminaries don't teach it. There is not a class in the seminary called heaven. 
There's just not. Now they, they I mean, believe me, they you can you can argue between you know uh, Calvin and Arminian and all of these guys and all of that's good. It's all fantastic. It's great. They learn scripture. All that stuff's true. They don't spend time to study heaven. They don't know. Isn't that wild? Uh, so you don't learn about it and have you don't learn about it in school. Therefore, you're not going to preach on it, right? And a lot of people tell you, oh, it's too good to be true. And then you hear these kind of wackadoodle stories, right? And you're like, well, that's just weird. I don't even want to think about that kind of realm because I'll just sound like a weird guy or something, you know? Uh, all of that comes down to um, the truth of the matter is that hopefully after today you'll at least get a, a taste of if you realize how good heaven is and how unbelievable uh, um, it is even to where we are, you're going to want to do nothing but tell people about it. See, the goal, biblically, and Jesus gives us picture after verse after picture after verse of what it looks like. Okay, If He didn't want us to know and say, oh, it's too good to be true, you just have to know to get there. He wouldn't tell us this stuff over and over and over and over again. I had to go type out all the Scripture because I didn't want to flip through my Bible and look at it all that we'll look at today. Okay, so over and I mean thousands of years span between books is talking about the same place of heaven. You know, he's saying it's so good that you've got to tell people about it. I mean, that's 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 you know uh, Matthew twenty eight. That's the Great Commission. It's that good. Go tell people. Okay, so really the 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 you know primary question that I asked is why is the culture so ambivalent about it. You know, why don't we pay attention to it? Part of it's practical, like I said, but I think the vast majority of it is this. It is called spiritual warfare. Okay? We have an adversary on this planet. He's all around and he's everywhere. He has a third of the angels with him. We don't know how big that number is, but it's pretty darn big. And this is what he says in Revelation thirteen six, when he opens his mouth mouth, he blasphemes God. And to slander his name, and listen to this, and his dwelling place to those who live in heaven. So not only does he blaspheming God, what else is he doing? He's slandering heaven, right? His whole existence, John eight forty four says he lies, right? He speaks in his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan goes around prowling, and the only thing he's doing is he's trying to convince us. And, and I'll, if you want me to repeat the, the, the scripture, just let me know. And, and I'll, John eight, oh, yeah, excuse me, eight forty four. Satan's only purpose is to get us away from Jesus. That's it. Okay, he does that two ways. One way is he just makes us ambivalent to Jesus in church. The other way is he makes you ambivalent and in, in, you know uh, uh, against heaven, right? That's what it says. It says we blaspheme God and slander His name in His dwelling place to those who live in heaven. Okay, so he's slandering heaven to us. He's making a misconception. He doesn't have to convince us that heaven's not real. He has to convince us that what heaven is boring. Who wants to go somewhere boring? I mean, think about it. That's all he has to do. It's so simple. Okay? But think about this. And this this gets me every time I read it. Uh, The statistic is staggering. 100% of us will die. (laughs) Right? Okay. Three. Hey, I got some pretty serious stats here. Three people, listen to this, three people die every second. 180 people die every minute. 11,000 people die every hour, which means over 250,000 people die every single day. And they're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. That is a hardcore number. 250,000 people every day saw what that little boy saw or didn't see it. And it is, a, it is the real, uh, real deal. Um, 
C.S. Lewis, who's one of my uh, one of my favorites, um, says it like this. And, and I think another reason that people don't study heaven is because they're like, "Well, what does it do for me today?" Right? I mean, so what? I mean, I'm I'm young. I'm you know, I got another forty years, ten, whatever. You know, you you don't feel like you're going to die today, so you know, I'm kind of bored with it. What 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 can I do? And uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite. Uh, favorite authors, if not the favorite, and he says, if you read history, you will find, and this really just motivates me to death, he says, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most about the next. You go back and look. The people, and, and, and to me, if I, if I get, when I get in front of Jesus, you know, and he says, well done, come on in, you know, and, and we're talking. I'm like, I, I want to be that guy that made a difference. I mean, really, if there's anything that motivates me as a person, I want to make a difference in the church or in the church age or helping people understand Christ or whatever. Okay, I know Christ doesn't need me, frankly. I mean, he could use a rock for the same thing I'm doing. But I want to be a part of that, right? And so when I read, the Christians who made the most in the present world were those who thought about the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelists who abolished the slave trade. All made their mark on this earth. Precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the others... of the uh, Excuse me. Think of others... Uh, the other world, excuse me, that, that they became so ineffective in this one. Okay, I'm going to repeat that because I, I had a typo when I'm reading this. Excuse me. Uh, is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this. If you aim at heaven, and I would write this down, if you aim at heaven, you will get the earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you will get neither. C.S. Lewis. Yes. You know, I don't know if he has said it or wrote it. I don't know. Um, uh, that's all. That's all. One. He said it all. But the, the the bottom part, you'll hear a lot more than the top part because the top part's longer. Um, if you aim at heaven. You will get the earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you will get neither. I love that. You know. Um, did everyone get that? Okay, good. Um, so you know, the early church. If we're talking about the early church, the early church was was preoccupied with this thought of heaven. Uh, if you know, in in Paul's life, Paul actually went to heaven, right? either in vision or in body, he says he doesn't know. <laughs> so we don't know either. But he went there. And and so, I mean, this dude actually saw it. Right? He's like that little boy. He's like, whoa, I, I was there. Or he's like uh, Piper. He's like, whoa, dude, I was there. Right? But look look at our, uh, Philippians. The first one we'll look at. And, and we'll, we're going to fly through some of these so I can get them to you. Uh, or you can flip. It doesn't matter to me, however you want to do it. Philippians 1, 21 and 23. Paul, don't forget... What you want to do is get your mindset, okay? His mindset, I'm telling you. I don't know who said it earlier was. Well, you know, I, I, I want to get to heaven. I think it was Julia. I want to get to heaven so bad, but you know what? Now maybe I'll tell people about it. I mean, that's Paul's mindset, right? I mean, the dude started the church, frankly. But I mean, that's what he, he knew heaven. But his whole mindset is I've got to get people there. To the point where he says, in Romans, he even says, look, man, God, take it away from me if you just give it to them. The love he had for these people that he didn't even love, or that he didn't even know, or that they were persecuting him, he's like, just give them what I've seen, right? And, and take it from me, is what he was saying in, in Romans 9, 10, 11. Um, but so, so, this is what he says. Listen to his mindset. Think about what he's doing in Philippians 1, 21 and 23. It says, and you've heard this one, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. How many times was Paul arrested? 
you know this, you're way too know, you probably need to be teaching. Or I don't know either. But he was arrested several times. <laughs> he was arrested, I think. <laughs> doesn't really matter. He was beaten, right? He was rotted, rooted, all this stuff, right? And, he, and he's like, look, God, you know, to me, to die is gain. Now, here's a man that drove the Romans crazy. You know why? Because he would sit there and his mindset was, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. If God doesn't want me in heaven, then God wants me telling people about Christ. I'm like, that's it. That's all there is. And so he'd get arrested. And they would say that he was in house arrest. And they'd say, okay, I'm going to let you out. But you can't talk about Jesus anymore. What did he say? I can't get out. I can't do that. Keep me in prison. Kill me. If you kill me, I'm going to be with Jesus. I don't care. Kill me. They're like, I can't do that. Okay? So we're going to let... you know. So then he said, we're going to... uh, Anyway, I forgot. I just got the three mixed up. So he said, uh, we're going to let you out. He said, no, because he can't tell people about Christ. They said, well, you know, we can't let you, you know, enjoy death. Then he comes over here and he says, well, we can't let you die, so we're going to let you go. You know, and he's like, fine, I'm going to go tell people about Christ. There was nothing you could do to Paul, obviously through the writings, that messed with him because he was so ready to get back to heaven. I mean, that's his mindset, man. I mean, think about it. It's like weird. I, I, how could he be ready to be, go somewhere boring, right? So Paul says, man, it's far better to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7, it says, as long as you are in the body, you are not home. We would prefer to be away from the body and home with our Lord. He's talking about the, our sinful body. He's talking about sin He's talking about this body right here. We will talk. We will talk a little bit about the physical and uh, body in, in a little bit. But what he's saying is, in this body, you're not home, people. Home is not Dallas, Texas. Home is heaven. Okay, it's the already and the not yet. Is is really what he's talking about? If you've heard that, what he's saying is, you you accept Christ. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You're going to heaven, and you live in this rocky life, man. It's like. I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal sometimes, you know, and you get into a community group and start talking about it, you realize, wow, man, this world's screwed up, right? So he's saying, when you're in this body, you're not at home. You're not at home. You're not at home, right? What's home? Home is with Jesus, is what he says in the this, in this 2 Corinthians 8. In John uh, 14, 2, in my Father's house, this is Jesus. What does he say? In my Father's house, there are many rooms... And I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, what's important about this is that Jesus in, intentionally uses physical words. Okay? I mean, you know, it, it's a house, it's a room, it's a place, it's a thing. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. There's going to be tons of flowers everywhere. Whatever you think. I mean, it is beautiful. And when He's using these words, Jesus is using physical words for that reason. Because it's not it's not some you know in spiritually embalmed place where we're just floating around playing harps on a cloud. I mean that's not what he's describing here. Uh, and so uh, in, in Psalms or in Psalm thirty nine uh, four and five it says, "O oh, oh me, my Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is." You have made my days a mere hand's breath, and a span of years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Uh, that's Psalms 39, 4 and 5. Each person's life is but a breath. Our ages range from here. I can tell you I've known my wife since 1994, and I feel like it was yesterday. And there's probably people in here that had been born. So, I mean, life flies, doesn't it? People that, I mean, I'm telling you, you can be 20 and you probably don't remember what it was like to be playing with Legos. I don't know. But it flies. You know, uh, we, um, you, you know, you work with people in different age groups. And, and you know what? We think that, and, and my 10-year-old, my 7-year-old, we have problems and issues and all this stuff. It's life, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's just weighing us down. And we're going to look back and be like, you know what? It wasn't that big a deal. And it's going to feel like it just goes like that. you know. And so when David wrote this psalm, he's like, man, my life's almost over. 
And it's like but a breath. You know, so you have a, a very short time to understand what this is. I mean, a really, really short time. Um, then he goes on in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 15, which is one of my favorite. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus takes death from us because the second that we stop breathing in this world, you're in the presence of Jesus. Just ask the little three-and-a-half-year-old boy that wrote that book. Just ask Don Piper. Who has seen uh, all the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe movies? I want to see the ages we got here. Who's seen them? The, the new ones. Or who's read the books? You know the second one, Prince Caspian? This is a great scene. If you remember, uh, the very one of the very first... I should have put this on t- TV. I didn't. I'm sorry. The very first scene is, is uh, Edmund's fighting and Peter's all mad because what? They can't get back into Narnia, right? They're dying to get back there. And they're like fighting, struggling. And so there was this huge brawl. You remember this? If you remember in the movie, and all of a sudden they're kind of bloody and they're kind of beat up. The fight's over and they're sitting in a, in a, uh, I got the subway, right? And all of a sudden this whoosh. And what happens? How did they get there? They just did, right? I mean, C.S. Lewis is a master at this. Right? What happens when you die? I mean, it is not seconds, minutes, moments, days, hours, weeks, months. It's not. It's bam! Right then, Jesus is there. Ask that little boy. Right? It's crazy how cool that is. You know? I can tell you there's a great book. One of my favorite books called Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Uh, who, I don't know if you know Toby Mack and... and uh, uh, Toby, it's, it's their old band, and what it is, it's, a, it's different stories about Christian martyrs through the whole church age. And there's about, I don't know how many there are, 200 different martyr stories in there. And there's several times when those martyrs who are getting beaten and dying in places and areas and just in ways you never hope to die. All, you know, they, one of these guys was actually, the actual story I'm thinking of is this dude, him and his buddy were about to be burned at the stake. This is in London. And his buddy was going first, okay, because they only had one stay. So they, they, they were lighting you on fire, right, to, to watch you die. And his buddy, his second guy, is like petrified, right? They're both scared to death. And he says to his buddy, he goes, man, if there's any way that you can show me that Jesus is with you or something, please just show me because I'm petrified and I might not go through with this. So his buddy gets up on the stake and he's, I mean, literally burning to death. And this charred body, and all of a sudden, this dude is totally dead, just raises his arms up like this. He goes, yes. And his buddy is like, victory. You know? Because Jesus came and just took that guy immediately. It's wild when you think about it. But this is an immediate uh, uh, process, an immediate thing. Um, when we go through this and I'm talking about Scripture and I'm bringing up points and we're talking about spiritual warfare and Satan and all this stuff that we don't really talk about a lot, how do we need to study the Scripture? Frankly, you need to do this on everything that you do. Uh, but I want you to look at uh, Acts 17.11. This is how Paul tells you to study Scripture. You know, hey, how do I study this Bible thing? You know, how do I learn about this stuff? I pull up the Bible. You know, the, Before I became a Christian, literally... I, I did try to read the Bible once, and I literally got to like Genesis paragraph two. It's like, this is so boring. I mean, I just put it up. But uh, how should you study Scripture? Acts seventeen eleven says this. Now the Bereans, which is a group of people, were more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day for what. To see if Paul was telling the truth. Don't ever listen to me, to Todd, to your friend, to a radio talk show anywhere without you want to, you want to prove that it's right. You go to the scriptures and you prove that it's right. And if I'm wrong, you know, bring it up to me because I want to be wrong. I want you to tell me. So the way that you study this stuff is you know and you say you examine with eagerness. And excitement. I want to study this stuff. This is wild. I've never thought about it. Every day to see what Paul's saying is true. And you do that over and over again. Yes? 
when were the or when was the gospel released? Like, what are they reading? What is their scripture? Who's this? The, um... the, these guys are reading Paul's letters. Okay. The Thessalonians was a church. You know, Thessalonica was a church that Paul started. Right, so most of these by most of uh, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Romans wasn't Ephesians. All of these were different cities that he would go in and start churches. He was a church planter, and so what he would do is he'd start a city in, in Ephesus, and then he'd go some, to a different city. And so what he would do is he would be their church father, and he would hear about all of these issues. And, and uh, Corinth is a good example of what was going on in the church, you know. And so what he was doing is he was writing letters back to them, trying to address the problems of the church. And so those letters are what we call the Bible. That's Corinthians 1 and 2. And so they were reading their letters. So the Bereans could have been reading the letter of you know, 1 Corinthians or you know, Ephesians or something like that. So they were reading the individual letters of Paul. And you know, it could be uh, Gospels were being written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in that same time period. So it just depends on you know, what year that he actually said it and you know, which scriptures they actually had. But the canon of the Bible wasn't put together for about another 300 years. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I have a question, basically. Um, what is that scripture that says, maybe you explain, you live each day like it's the last day of your life? What is, can you explain that a little bit? Um, I don't know what scripture... I don't know. I, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but I think I mean, I think we can look at that. I think that looking and focusing on heaven, uh, you know, I think you do live every day like it's the last day. Um but so I, I don't know if that's a. You just said it. What was the one that, that you were talking about about where Christ or where Paul was talking about? Um, it was the one after Second Corinthians. What was the one you said after? after oh, for, uh, John fourteen. My father shout no. Show. Oh, you're talking about uh, thirty nine Psalms. Well, that's the one about how our life is a fleeting thing. But right. Was it Second Corinthians thirteen verse twelve that you were talking about? About I just I feel like that we talked about a scripture like that just this day. Yeah. Uh, Philippians to me is to live as Christ to die in vain. Yeah. So like basic that that is essentially the same thing, right? Live every moment like it's your last because if 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 you're not, then you're not really living because it's not right. really Christ. Oh, okay, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah. So, so yeah. So Philippians Philippians one twenty one would be you know to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So a daily uh, walk. I desire to depart. And be with uh, Christ, which is far better. The uh, I have a uh, old pastor friend of mine that literally prays all week long that the rapture happens before his next pre- sermon. Isn't that a cool prayer? I pray before it happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, what I want to do is is I want to read this this paragraph. This is one of my favorite paragraphs in the world. What we're going to see. Is um, uh, we're going to see that that heaven is a very real place, and it's a very uh, interesting, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, part of creation. You're going to see what God created. Okay, so uh, th- this book right here is is the book that I primarily use, and I back up the other one. This book called it's by Randy Alcorn. It's called Heaven. It's downstairs to buy if you want to buy it on the way out. We're going through about a third of this today. It's awesome, unbelievable, fantastic, better than any book I've read besides the Bible. But if you think I like it, get mm-hmm. me. Do you think Watermark would have like a class, like a Bible study that goes on for several weeks about this? If you ask, if you ask what, uh, if you ask Blake to do it, I would do it. Yes. Um, it just depends on the structure. Would you? Would you? Would you? Ha- yes. I told when I taught this as a class, it took me about seven months. To go through it. So, uh, th- this is this is you know semi overview. But listen to this. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to ask. You mentioned um, spiritual warfare uh-huh. at the very beginning. Um, that was another one of my questions, and, and I feel like that's not taught as much, and it's so important. Why do you think that's? Uh, it's not taught. Yeah, it's, it's not really talked about as much. I think I think that what's happened is we have some. Uh, groups of Christians that take spiritual warfare to an nth degree. Mm-hmm. The, tr- the truth of the matter is that Satan is probably messing with, you know, Prince William today and not me. I mean, he, you know, he has he has an army of, of demons to deal with. And so a lot of people make the excuse, hey, man, I got, I got drunk last night and did this and this and this because of spiritual warfare. Could be. 
right? But a lot of people downplay their personal responsibility to what they did by blaming it on spiritual warfare, okay? So what, what happens is they're downplaying their own because basically you have spiritual warfare and you have the world and the world, which is you, or excuse me, you have spiritual warfare, Satan, the demons. You have the world, which is all you do is, you know, look out the window, it's everywhere, and then you have yourself. Those three things are what makes you sin. It's that simple. Satan, the world, and yourself. Okay, so I think what happens in the in the uh, church is to take away the emphasis of spiritual warfare because they're trying to make you hone up to your own issues, and I think they I think they take it to an extreme and don't teach it balanced. So I mean I think it's wrong, but but I think that's why they do it. Frankly, the other it always goes back to if say, if you knew what Satan was really doing to you, would you pay attention? Worldly, the answer is no. Right, I mean, and this dude is good, right? And so, I mean, he's not good. He's a good liar. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, I mean, he's able to convince us that he's really not messing with us, that it's really not spiritual warfare, that I'm really a wackadoodle if I think it is spiritual warfare. You know what I mean? So, it, so it's both. It's, it's the church kind of takes, it, takes a, an extreme view of blaming, uh, of wanting us to take our own responsibility, which I agree with, uh, but it shouldn't be extreme because Satan has something to do with it as well. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you an interesting, uh, quick story. My little girl has autism, and autism makes you have some, uh, you know, crazy behaviors, and it has nothing to do with behavior. But that's the, that's what you and I see. And I had a, a pastor from Nepal come and stay at my house uh, two summers ago, and his name is Bishnu, and he was awesome. Bishnu, studying over DTS, staying in my house, and just for the weekend, and and he came up and and he said to me, uh, after you know spending time with each other. He said, uh, you know, I know what you explained to me, autism and doctor. And I mean, I get all that stuff. But uh, he said, have you ever prayed for your daughter? And of course, I pray, I pray for her a lot. And he said, have you ever prayed for your house? You know, you kind of look at a dude. If someone says that, you're kind of like, well, yeah, why would you say that? He said, I, I notice that when your daughter's around you and your wife, she acts totally different than when she's anywhere else. He goes, and I think that she has, you know, spiritual demons, and I think she's being attacked by spiritual warfare. I mean, you're like, what? You know, but it, but it really, it was a calming kind of wow, because it's very. I'd never thought about it, dude. My prayer, I could show you my prayer list. It was, I prayed for the doctors, I prayed that the insurance would pay it, I prayed that God would fix it. I was, it was a very Western thought, right? Which is fine, man. That's, that's where we are. But I never thought to pray that that. Demons got out of my daughter, out of her room. All this stuff. I never thought to pray that. And here's this pastor from from Nepal in my house telling me this. It was humbling. And so we sat there and we had a. I mean, we prayed over, laid hands on her, and you know, it was wild. It was a wild time. In fact, right before I started praying, my grandmother, who's kind of was kooky and like never had done this before, just showed up at my house. I mean, literally one second before we said, okay, let's pray. She starts knocking on the door. If I would have opened the door, he had to be back. He had to be somewhere like later that day. So if it wasn't going to happen, then it wasn't going to happen. This prayer, it just wasn't going to happen. That that was the time we had to do it. And literally the second before, I look over there and it's my old grandmother. I'm like, what? And and so literally, spiritual warfare 101. Because if I would have answered that door, she'd have been Nepal. Where's Nepal? What's he doing? Who is it? What's it? What's his skin color? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I mean, it would have just been like ninety to nothing, you know. And and uh, I, mean, I know that. And so, frankly, I just didn't answer the door. And I know I have a window in my. I mean, I have a window. She's staring at me, you know. And we just sat there and prayed for and, and prayed about, you know. And he laid hands on her, his own language, prayed for demons to get out of her. And I truly believe it happened, you know. And, 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 you know, I think it's a real deal. And that's a freaky story to tell, you know, because you're like, really? Did that really happen? So I think that's your issue with spiritual warfare. It's real. It's a, it's probably more real than, than the other issues. But. And I think C.S. Lewis has an awesome point, and I can't remember right now, about those two extremes, mm-hmm. you know, about... The it, it, or the great divorce? Maybe it's the great divorce. About heaven and hell? No. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, oh. there's two errors, like there's two errors, yes. like thinking that 
demons don't exist, and then the other is like being too intrigued by it. Right. You know, right. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. And, and the answer is it's a balance, right? I mean, yeah. really. I have I have autism. Oh, really? I have autism. Yeah. I've had all my life. Wow. And, uh, I have it, and um, it's just uh, I I can't have therapy. It's just jumping out there and meeting people. That's great. Um, I do have autism. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's exciting. Yes? Um, I just wanted to know what your take is on this. Um, I was reading a book um, that talks about spiritual warfare, and it says that the devil's purpose, the devil doesn't care whether you commit sin or not. That's not his ultimate purpose. His purpose is just to create enough doubt in your mind to push you further away from God, because that's what his ultimate goal is. Right. So I was just wondering if you agree to that yes. or... Every every sin that you create that you, that you have committed in your life, knowingly and unknowingly, you are responsible for. Satan is not right. So Satan creates doubt. You know my favorite uh, my favorite theological writer is C.S. Lewis, and my favorite theological movie is Animal House. Who has ever seen Animal House? Animal House. Everyone seen? What happens when the little demon says what? You know he has a he has a little little devil here and a little angel here, right? That's what you're saying. That devil's creating doubt, 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 doubt. You know, he ends up falling for it. By the way, but it is, it is a picture of probably what you and I are going through every day. You're going to see a little while ago, in a little while I think a, a video that shows that as well. But that is a very good theological movie, Animal House. I'm just kidding, but it is. But but that scene does draw that, that scene does draw the point. Does draw the point of of what you're talking about the doubt because that, that's all he has to do. You commit. You, you die for your own sin. I mean, he, he you know he's he's toast for himself. He's just got a you know he's like a bad friend, right? Carrying you the other way. Oh, uh, so what I want to do now is I want to, I want everyone to kind of think about. It. I want to read this uh, paragraph because the, the description I think is so good. But I'd love for you to close your eyes, think about you know your favorite place in the world. I mean, where where it is that you get rest that y'all talked about earlier. What does it look like? Just kind of put yourself there, okay, and think about this because th- this is what's going to happen, okay. I mean, per- by the way, the, the the Bible doesn't talk about pearly gates, doesn't talk about Saint Peter, doesn't talk about this stuff, but this is the stuff that it talks about, okay. So I just want you to to. Uh, uh, you know, kind of close your eyes. Because the first time I read this and the first time I studied this, it, it, frankly, it brought tears to my eyes because you just think, wow, how cool can this be? So uh, let's look at this. So close your eyes, and I'm going to read this, and uh, let's go off to a place outside of Watermark. Uh, when I anticipate my first glimpse of heaven, I remember the first time I went snorkeling. I saw countless fish of every size, every shape, and every color. And just when I thought I'd seen the most beautiful fish, along comes another striking fish. I imagine uh, my first glimpse of heaven uh, will cause us similar grasp uh, in the amazement and delight. Uh, the first grasp will likely be followed by more and more continual encounters of new Sights in endless, wonderful places. The first time you see it, what's going to happen over and over again, it's going to get better and better and more exciting and more exciting and faster and more wonderful. And the things will be just the beginning because uh, it will not, it'll be our internally home. It'll be a new earth. It's a new earth until after the resurrection of the dead. So look out the window, take a walk. Talk with your friends. Use your God-given skills to paint or to draw or to, sh- uh, or to shed uh, or, to write, uh, excuse me, or to write a book. But imagine all of it in its original uh, condition. A happy dog with a wagging tail. Not a snarling beast. Flowers. A lot of flowers. Unwilted. The grass undying, blue skies without pollution. People smiling and joyful, not angry and depressed, not empty. If you're not 
uh, in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes. Think of friends and family. Think of loved ones uh, who love Jesus and are with Him now. Picture your granddaddy. Picture your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your parents. They're walking in this place. All of you have powerful bodies. Stronger than that of an Olympic decathlete. You're laughing. You're playing. You're talking. You're reminiscing. You reach up to a tree and you pick an apple or an orange. You take a bite of it. It is so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on His face. You fall to your knees and you worship. And He pulls you up and He embraces you. At last, you are with the person you were made for. In the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go, there will be new people, new places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that you smell? It's a feast. It's a party. And you're invited. There's exploration and work to be done. And you can't wait to get started. Every one of those uh, comments is biblically based. Every one of those from work to you can't wait to get started to Jesus embracing you. What's that going to be like? I mean, that's... Um, is heaven our default destination? We're going to contrast what the culture says versus what the Bible says about this. Is heaven our default destination? Matthew seven, thirteen and 14. Jesus Himself says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Look at Jesus' words. Only a few find it. Guys, most statistics come out like this. Um, uh, uh, I, you can ask Darren. Darren and I earlier this year went into uh, down to Huntsville, went into the prisons to evangelize the prisoners. And uh, which one? Matthew seven, uh, thirteen and fourteen. And basically, you go in there and you and you love on the prisoners and you lead them to Christ and you go through the Roman road, go through four spiritual laws, whatever it is. But it's just sheer. You know, here's who Jesus is. Do you want to accept Christ? One of the things you do to kickstart the conversation is you kind of find out, hey, do you have a spiritual life? Do you believe in something? You know, some people don't, right? It's called atheist. So you ask, and I'm telling you, I've done it in in many countries, many places, in prisons. What's fun about prison is they're all broken and they all know they're dirt bags because they're wearing white and they're in prison. Okay, so you've at least broken some of these little deals down. But every single one of them I asked, and I probably asked 250, by 150, 200 that day, or that two days. And, and uh, uh, I asked that one of the questions is, do you have a spiritual life? And if they all said yes, then it said, do you believe in heaven and hell? Okay. How many people of all 200 of them said they believed in heaven and hell? How, how many? Five. All of them. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Said what? <laughs> there is a heaven and hell. So the next question is, are you going, are you going to heaven? How many people said yes? Really? Yeah, for me, it was like a ton. Yeah. Hey, it's only a 200. you got to get to a 1,000 people before you really get a scientific study. The vast majority of people in this world believe in heaven and hell and believe that they're going to heaven. It's like two-thirds, 70%. Fact, true, this, is a, this is a true study. More people, they did, they did a question, and the question was, are you going to heaven and hell? Yes. 85% of the people asked, this is, a, this is a true scientific study, 85% of the people asked said they were going to heaven. 
Then the question is, do you know who Mother Teresa is? Yes. Is she a good person? Yes. What percentage of people think Mother Teresa is going to heaven? It was 70%. 15% of those people think they're going to heaven and Mother Teresa is not. You know, it's like, wow, I want to meet those guys. Yeah. They must have done something good, right? <laughs> I mean, so I say that. The culture thinks... The reason that they say heaven and hell is because the truth of the matter is, God put it in your heart, man. You have to push and try and scrape and do everything you can not to believe in it. Because it's true. And you know that there's something when you die. Okay? And then the thing is, well, what happens when you die? The majority, 85%, say they're going to heaven. That's what the culture says. Okay? What does the Bible say? Small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. It's crazy. I mean, that's like spiritual warfare. I mean, that's like diametrically opposite of what they're saying. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to see evil and you cannot tolerate wrong. Right? He's talking about God. God's in heaven. What is this? Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1.13. And then in Revelation 21.27 says, Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names... This is very important. Revelation 21.27. And I am going too fast on that. I'm sorry. I'll slow down. You know, when you, when you study this stuff for a few weeks coming up to it, you think, okay, they know where it is. I'll just fly through this. Revelation 21.27. Nothing impure will enter. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's, it's paramount important to make sure that you're going to heaven. It's paramount. right? Because you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. 